0: was feeling very much like I deserve to be happy. And I would say, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to be happy. Five words that are probably the most damaging, at least in my life. And I would say in the lives of a lot of people that I've seen around me as well. It was always the next thing for me. It was always moving on to, I've accomplished this, I've achieved that, I've put in that work, close that chapter, move on to the next chapter. And it became almost a, an unending cycle then for me, where I was constantly chasing and constantly running and constantly on that hamster wheel. I basically chased that I deserve to be happy mentality until I blew up my entire life. I ended up divorced and I ended up with you know, 50-50 placement of these children that I created and grew and loved so much I I lost out on half of their life because I deserved to be happy and I chased that down this rabbit hole of, of destruction. I was so selfish in my desire and my drive that I was willing to basically trade in all of these things that I had worked so hard for on that hamster wheel in order to be able to find that happy, that elusive happiness. In chasing that happiness and trying to figure out where my role in it was, and being in this pit of despair where my entire life has been blown up and my, my kids are hurt and I'm hurt. And I was doing all these things that I thought were gonna bring me this, you know, elusive happiness and everything just sucked. I remember just feeling this feeling of like, what have, what have I been waiting for? Like, this has been real and constant my entire life. God has been here this entire time. And I thought to myself, like, maybe I've been doing it wrong. I I said, okay, Jesus, come in. Come here, come 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 inside of me and help me. I know that I don't have the pieces that I need to make this work anymore. And I was exhausted. I had run myself on this hamster wheel all the way down into the ground and blown everything up and I, I couldn't, I couldn't happy my way out of this. I couldn't work my way out of this. Thinking about the fact that like, I had done all of the very wrongest things and I had taken the selfish route every single opportunity that I had. And there's this amazing creator of the universe who still would say, like you, you, did all of these things and you still have a place at my side, like you still, you still belong with me. You still let me take you under my wing and let me love you. And I still want you. So to be wanted by the creator of the universe was such a huge, I I still kind of can't even wrap my head around it. I will say though that wrapping my head around the fact that If I had been the only person on this planet, Jesus still would have gone to the cross and died for me, to cover me, to choose me. Even in the midst of this giant heap of mess that I had made in the depth of this pit of despair that I created entirely of my own self, my own choices. He still was here to redeem me. And you think about how teeny, teeny, tiny I am in the grand scheme of the population of all of His people. And just that love story is something that I don't even know that I can put real words to. God took a broken, selfish person and reached into the pit that I had created for myself chasing those broken, selfish desires all the way down into the spiral. Um, And he pulled me out.
1: We might not have the exact same story as Amanda, but we are all people who at some point or another think that we can do it, that we can do it on our own, that we can figure it out, that we can fix any problem that comes, that we can build a happy life. We think that we can carry it all. And the truth is, we can't. We can't carry it all. It's too much, too big, and to be honest, just too hard. Have you ever heard that saying that people will say? They'll say like, oh, don't worry. Like, God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, the truth is, if it's without God, it it will be. It will be more than we can handle. It will be more than we can do on our own. But with God, because of God, then there's truly nothing that can't be redeemed or restored. Last week, we looked at one of my favorite books of the Bible, and we started in Ruth chapter 1, and today we're going to finish it. And the story of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, is told in this like storytelly storyteller format and last week we talked about how Ruth even before she knew the end of her story she said your god is my god And we talked about how Ruth, even before she saw how her life would be redeemed or restored, which, spoiler, we're going to talk about today, she trusted God and believed that God would be a God of mercy and compassion. Now, Ruth and Naomi, they're both widows. They have nothing, absolutely nothing, especially in this culture. Because in this culture, men, they were the provider— and Naomi's husband died, and Ruth's husband died, and they really, they have nothing. And on top of it all, Ruth is a Moabite woman, and they go back to God's chosen people, the Israelites, but like Ruth is an outcast there. Those people groups are like oil and water. They don't get along. They don't mix. But we see... When Naomi returns to her people, when Naomi goes back to that promised land, we already see the mercy and compassion of God in chapter two from a man named Boaz. Now, in this culture, they had it set up that farmers, people, everyone would take care of the widow and the the widows and the poor. And so Ruth goes through the field behind Boaz's workers, and Boaz sees her and says like, hey, who who is that woman? He asks his workers, like, who is that? And they say, well, this is the Moabite woman who came back with Naomi, and she's collecting after us. And we see compassion in a very real form when Boaz not only says like, okay, yes, you know, let her keep gleaning. But he says to the workers, like, drop more than you, than you normally would. Leave more behind than you normally would. Take care of her. Watch out for her. Offer her water. And he even, Boaz even, fed Ruth with food that, were for, that was for his paid workers. Like, he is going above and beyond what the law said. His generosity went above and beyond what it said he should do. And we, we need to know one other thing before we can read chapter four, and that's what a kinsman redeemer is. Now, in the most simplest of forms, a kinsman redeemer was someone, a relative specifically, that would, ha- would have the responsibility of helping another relative when they were in danger or in need. And if we look at the Old Testament, there were two specific ways that a kinsman redeemer would help most often. The first was with debt. So let's say somebody was in debt, like in nowadays, it would be something that would like put you into bankruptcy and the kinsman redeemer would help pay the debt so that the other relative, the other person would not lose everything, they could still keep their life, they could still be provided for, but the other way that a kinsman redeemer would help is that they would either um, that they would marry a widow that they would step in and they would be that provider and this was a two part thing yes she 's provided for, but then the second piece of it is that her family name, the family name, would still continue because we talked about last week that losing that losing that lineage that family name that was one of like the worst curses and so a kinsman redeemer would help provide in that way as well and in Ruth chapter 3 Ruth goes to Boaz and says like hey you are my family redeemer you are my kinsman redeemer like will you do this? Will you, basically she's asking him, will you marry me? Like, will you provide in this way? And so part of the love story this morning is watching Ruth and Boaz, but there's going to be another part too. And Boaz says, okay, yes, but there was a but, but there's actually someone in line before me. There's actually someone that's a closer relative than me and I need to ask him first. So we pick up this story in chapter four and in verse one, it says, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. What you're seeing right now is like what a legal proceeding would look like way back then. So he's setting the stage so that big decisions can be made right in this moment. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, you know, Naomi, who came back from Moab, she is selling the land that belonged to our relative, relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, okay, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, well, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. Notice the family redeemer, the one closer, he didn't just say like, oh, no, I don't want to, or no, I prefer you do it. He says, I cannot do it. And when I read Bible commentaries, it really talked about like financially, if he says, I cannot do it, Like financially, he couldn't have done it because the purchase of the land would have been one thing, but then adding on, providing for Ruth and then carrying on that family name would have added more financial responsibility and burden. And so he says, I cannot do it. You do it. And so Boaz right away, right away says... If we go back, now in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. He doesn't waste any time, no time. And then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper and be famous. Now, Boaz, he has redeemed Ruth. At the beginning of the story, Ruth has nothing. She has no provider she has nothing because then she moves and she's an outcast she has no family she has no familiarity she is she's just at the kind of the lowest of lows if we use kind of our language of today but at this point Boaz redeems her and her story completely changes in this moment i guarantee you that she didn't have to keep walking the fields to be provided for. My guess is that her living situation totally changes. And if you keep reading in Ruth chapter four, she has a baby boy. She has a boy to carry on the family name and everybody is celebrating that. Everybody is so excited. But there's more. There's even more than that. Like, that already is a huge story of redemption. That already is this huge story of restoration. But then, if we jump all the way to Matthew, chapter one, the New Testament, in that time, it was really important for people to know, like, the history of where everyone came from. So, ancestors and lineage were really important. Now, I know this is a lot on the screen, but this is Jesus's lineage, okay? If I read all of you, these are all the people before Jesus. And you'll see, really bold right there, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth, this Moabite woman who had nothing, who really, honestly, was a woman known for being far from God just because of the people where she came from. She's now part of Jesus' story. Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer. A lot of people will look at Boaz and compare and say, Boaz, that was like our... our, um, our, our prediction. Our, we got to see that before we got to see Jesus because he stepped in and he redeemed Naomi just like Jesus steps in and redeems our stories. Rue's story is redeemed even more than she ever could have imagined. And you see this story of redemption, Rue's story, her love story, is directly related to the greatest love story of all time. Here's here's the part that I want to make sure we all understand this morning. God had you in mind throughout the entire Bible. God had you in mind when God redeemed Ruth's story through Boaz. Boaz. God knew the greatest love story ever lived would be lived through the person of Jesus. And God had you, you specifically, in mind when Jesus hung on a cross and died. And God knew you by name, just like he knew Ruth, and just like Boaz was the relative that could redeem Ruth, Jesus is the person that can redeem us all because we are then considered sons and daughters of God. I love what Amanda said in her story that even if she was the only person on earth that Jesus still would have died for her. That Jesus still would have come that Jesus still would have shown love in that way. If you were the only person here on earth, Jesus would still come and redeem your story too. Have you trusted that? Have you trusted that this morning? And if you've never trusted Jesus to redeem, to turn around, to restore your story I invite you to take a moment this morning. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. It doesn't have to be any certain words, but it just needs to say like, hey God, I, I trust you. I trust you to redeem my story, to change my story, and to restore it in ways that I could not even imagine in this moment right here. Amanda said no matter how hard she worked, because she did try to work hard, she couldn't happy her way out of it. And we can't happy or work our way out of it, too. And we have a God that says, you don't have to. That's the great news. You don't have to. You don't have to be the one to go and try to fix everything or solve all the problems. And yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I still have problems even when I trust God, but I'm not alone. One thing we say around here is that we're a community of people learning to live and love like Jesus. Our stories have been redeemed or they're continuing to be redeemed, they're being changed, transformed. No story is finished yet. None of our stories in this room. Are finished yet. And I don't know about you, but like that song says, I'm glad that my story is not finished. And just like our stories are being redeemed and restored and transformed, there are others that are maybe, maybe looking for that. If we look at Ruth. Ruth needed her story redeemed and restored. But if we look at Boaz, like his story already was. And so because he was already connected to God and connected to, well, not Jesus at the time, but we have Jesus, but connected to God, he then could reach out and extend a hand to say, hey, Ruth, I'm not God, but I will help I will be here and I will help as God redeems your story. And some of us are like Ruth and we need to just pause and say, God, I trust you to do that. I trust you to redeem and change my story. And some of us here sitting in the room this morning, we're like Boaz. We're in a place where we do have a relationship with God. We do trust that Jesus came and we're not the people that transform others but we have the ability to reach out and to be a part of God's story to be a part of that story of transformation to be a part of someone that says like hey you don't have to do it alone you don't have to do it alone and so many of us get so nervous me included To really just say boldly, like, hey, Jesus is somebody that can redeem your story. And so some of us this morning, we can be encouraged by Boaz, who people do compare to Jesus. And we, as we say, we're a community that wants to live and love like Jesus we then can take that next step in extending that hand and saying like hey i'm here i'll walk alongside you you're not alone yeah it's it's amazing that we have a god that allows us not only to have our stories be redeemed, but then to be a part of other people's redemption stories too. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, we can't be a part of someone's redemption story if we're just like sitting in our safe bubble. If we just stay in our own little world, we do have to be around and pay attention and use our eyes and see people around us because that's how we're going to see those moments where we can reach out and we can be encouraging and we can say that you're not alone. For us to be successful, we've got to learn to live and love like Jesus and bring another alongside us. Our communities, people, we're, we're lost without Jesus But we have this greatest love story of all where Jesus came down and said, I love you. I am with you. Let's be people that believe that and then share it, share it big. Let's pray. God, thank you for Ruth and her story and how you showed through Boaz how she wasn't alone. And even though her history was terrible, God, you used her to lead up to Jesus. You used her story and her redemption and her restoration to show us that nothing is too big for you and nothing is out of your reach. God, we're thankful that you are a God that is good, a God that loves us and a God that is with us all. God, help us be people that show the people around us in in big ways, in small ways, in actions and in words that you are alive and that you are real and that you are with us. God, thank you for Ruth and Boaz's love story and God, thank you for loving us so much to say that, Jesus, go, go sacrifice so that I may be in relationship with you. God, thank you for loving us, for caring about us, each one of us so much. Amen.